Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. I'm really excited to be oh. with you today. Good. Me too. I'm so grateful for your time and for everything. You're, you were so flexible with me. And <laughs> um, this is just a dream come true for me. And I'm just so excited to have this conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, I appreciate your grace with me. <laughs> oh, goodness. I think we all need extra grace. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, all the time, but especially right now. Yes. Welcome to the Diamonds for Our Children podcast, a public humanities project and motherhood ministry. I'm your host, Katie Jo LaRiviere. Drawing on all aspects of what Pope St. John Paul II called the feminine genius, I gather together the narratives, expressions, and expertise of mothers as a collective epistolary given freely as a gift to all children who might need the loving and secure presence of motherhood. This podcast is for my little ones, of course, but it's also for you, dear one, whomever and wherever you may be. If you need the love of a mother, join me every Monday. Each episode is a facet of the diamond of motherhood, and each contributes to a unified love that reflects light back onto the world. Let us fill our hearts up so that we can pour them out. During this second week of April, we add our voices to raise awareness for Black Maternal Health Week and to honor Black motherhood. A little about Black Maternal Health Week from the Black Mamas Matter Alliance website. The fourth annual National Black Maternal Health Week campaign, founded and led by the Black Mamas Matter Alliance, will be a week of awareness activism, and community building intended to deepen the national conversation about Black maternal health in the U.S., amplify community-driven policy, research, and care solutions, center the voices of Black mamas, women, families, and stakeholders, provide a national platform for Black-led entities and efforts on maternal health, birth, and reproductive justice, and enhance community organizing on Black maternal health. To support this mission, Doc is joined in conversation today by Cecily R. Smith, founder and executive director of Abide Women's Health Services in Dallas, Texas. Inspired by Smith's commitment to, quote, living in the gray, we discuss what it means to be countercultural and how we must all resist systemic injustice and oppression by rejecting false categories and affirming the deep human dignity of every person. This is a powerful, vulnerable conversation with someone I deeply admire. Cecily prides herself on living in the gray and working through the messiness that life has to offer. Over the years, she has witnessed the devastating impact systemic failures in healthcare, housing, and economics have had on the human condition. Having the ability to see the overlap in these structures has given her the drive to pursue justice in a way that brings unlikely people together. Cecily's passion for Black women and her community is what compelled her to found Abide Women's Health Services in the heart of South Dallas. Founder, executive director, racial and maternal justice activist, 
Well, these are just a few of the many hats she wears. Though, as Cecily puts it, the most challenging and rewarding hats she wears are of mother to her four children and wife to her husband, Raymond. For my listeners today, I want you to know that Cecily and I are approaching this conversation unflinchingly and also from a place of vulnerability and honesty. We acknowledge the realities that are white supremacy, toxic patriarchy, and the intersectionality of racial and gender injustice. In acknowledging these realities, we resist them. My hope is that a fruit of this conversation is that we learn how to effect justice through our care for others. And Cecily, I am so grateful for your willingness to spend time with us and for your emotional and other labor. Let's jump in to the conversation. Okay, so there is something really, really special and important going on at Abide. Can you tell us how Abide came to be? Oh, Abide. Abide's my baby. Um, Abide, I would say, was birthed out of this. It it started off as an idea back in 2016. I had written on a post on Facebook that said, I wonder what it be it would be like to have a birth center in the hood. At the time though, I was, you know, homeschooling my very young children. I was a part-time doula and I did not know that that would act that idea would actually turn into something. I let it go pretty quickly. <laughs> and um I would say what truly sparked this journey was when I went to a conference after having my daughter, she was only two weeks old. I went to a birthing conference and I heard um, the voice of Jenny Joseph. She's a grand midwife and she's phenomenal. And that's where I heard about the, um, the infant and maternal mortality rates amongst black women. I did not know. I really did not know that it was so staggering. Um, And once I heard that, it really just, it was like somebody punched me in the gut. And I knew at that point that I needed to advocate for women in a different way. And so that was just, that was the start. And of course I can go into this long story of the details of the organization, but that those, those are the seeds that were planted that helped start Abide and get it to where it is now. Mm. That is so beautiful and striking and difficult at the same time. I feel like, uh, I, I feel like, you know, when we're mothers, I, I, cause I, I'm just listening to you say that your own baby is two weeks old <laughs> and you go and you're like, okay, I need to do something, you know? And it's, it's like never at the, the best time. Like there's never a good time, right? right? Mm-hmm. Always is the best time um, to do the just thing. So I just, I'm really inspired by that. And I think it's, it's necessary, I think, to, to hear it over and over when women do this, right? When it's like, this is the moment. Yeah. All, you know, we have to do it. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to step up. You know, mm-hmm. that's just beautiful. You know, I notice often um, on your Instagram and... Um, as I've spoken to you in the past, 
that you speak a lot about living in the gray. And that seems like an idea that really resonates with me and with um, sort of the third way idea that I've been talking about a lot on the podcast. And I wonder if you can tell me a little more about that, um, about that idea. Absolutely. I think that we live in a culture where everything is either black or white. A lot of times people think black or white. It's right or wrong. Um, one extreme to, to another. And oftentimes that translates into, or it creates a hostile environment where um, productivity or you get to a place where you're not really resolving any of the issues because you're so stringently against something. And so um, I've learned over the past several years through my work with within the pro-life movement um, <laughs> and through my actively anti-racist work that true justice is in the gray. It's where you really begin to understand the humani humanity in others when you reject dehumanization and you just meet in the middle, you meet in the gray and you unearth and you work through all of the complex top topics. You work through all of the um, polarizing topics to get to a place where you're actually so um, solution driven. And so living in the gray for me has actually brought a tremendous amount of freedom. It has helped me to empathize with people with varying perspectives and views. But most importantly, I would say living in the gray has, um, it's helped me and my, helped me to lead a maternal justice organization from just an idea to one that is producing a beautiful fruit. You know, it's producing solution-based practices. And in doing that, um, we work with a variety of different people that are finding that common ground um, that's, you know, laying this beautiful, solid foundation that is truly helping our community. So it sounds to me that, that in part what you're saying is that giving yourself the, the freedom to live in the gray sort of detaching from all of these categories and definitions and sort of sides, these black and white sides, allows you to really actually affect justice in the real world, mm -hmm. that you can actually see the human beings in front of you and do the things that they need to thrive. Um, Absolutely. Is that, does that sound right to you? That's so beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Living in the gray. Sometimes I think, I think throughout my, my life, just my youth and my young adulthood, living in those who are religious, you know, it's, it's, oh, mm. you can't, you know, <laughs> it was very like, no, it's, um, you're floating around in murky water and that's not good, you know, but for me, gray is life giving, you know, like gray is, setting aside um, norms that are actually destructive. And so I, I yeah, I, I absolutely love living in the gray. It's where, it is where justice, it is where justice happens. Mm, absolutely. Can you tell me a little more about how 
that looks like in a practical sense at Abide? Living in the gray with Abide. Well, let's start with our volunteers. So we have volunteers that are pro-life, pro-choice, you know, all across the spectrum. We have volunteers that are religious, non-religious, <laughs> um, that are all part, are various genders and sexualities. Um, it's kind of like a melting pot of varying lifestyles and views and opinions. It's, it's quite beautiful because you see the diversity of humans and people. And so I think that's where, I think that's where you live in the gray. It's, it's where people meet in the middle, but then while you're meeting in the middle, you find that commonality, you find, okay, what can we, what do we, what do we see eye to eye on? And so that right there, I believe has helped um, abide become this beautiful organization because of that. We know that black women are dying at three to four times the rate of white women due to childbirth related causes or three to four times the rate. And we know that black babies are dying at two to three times that rate and something needs to be done. And so stepping into the gray <laughs> to find, you know, to find that common goal that we all wanna strive to do, which is reducing infant and maternal mortality, that's where all these people meet. That's where growth happens and it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And at the very bottom line, right, is just who is the human yes. here? Like let us recognize that human and let us bring them, bring them into the, the space of thriving. Right. Um, and that it's only through working, like really working in the gray, working together mm -hmm. that we can do that. Um, so, so important. I just love that idea. I love sometimes if you, if you follow Cecily on um, Instagram, you see her. Um, sometimes you just have a, just a gray picture like it's just gray right and it's not there's no like um like the gray in the in the photo is the subject of the photo mm -hmm. um so it's not it's not distracting it's like this and it really makes you think right it's just this idea like oh hold on like stop your scroll yeah pay attention right here um and it's so it seems like that's kind of the the spirit going on at abide and even though i've never been there and actually i've never been to dallas <laughs> i i it, you can tell like you can really feel that spirit um from even just through the social media presence and um through seeing the work that that y'all do down there and it's just it's absolutely beautiful and necessary um, thank you so much I'm, I'm interested in the way that you kind of conduct, um, conduct things there. Like what, um, what are the policies within your organization that support your employees and volunteers that kind of create this environment where people can, can work together? Let's see. So I think that the one thing that I have learned as, the leader of an organization is that we have the freedom to create the policies for which we desire to operate in. Um, you don't have to continue to do things the way they've always been done. And there's a lot of freedom in that. And so 
I have this phenomenal board who is so supportive of me as, you know, just in my role as the, I guess, the creative head of the organization, the visionary of the organization. And some of the things that I've noticed just in our culture, you know, in various organizations is that families aren't central to the work that we do. Um, we're organizations and uh, corporations, they focus more on productivity and money. It's, it's about making, it's about that, that dollar and making that money, you know, and mm-hmm. I am just very determined to be counter that. And this may go into like one of our other questions is like, what, what does it mean to be countercultural? You know, Okay, yeah. so we know we live in this capitalistic society, right? And mm-hmm. it's all about how can we, you know, this is why we have toys and furniture and cell phones that don't last long. You know, it's meant, it's meant for temporary satisfaction so that we can go, it can break, fall apart and go buy the next thing. And so we're just like, we're in this cons- consumerism, capitalism, have, 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 get, get, get. And so with Abide, we're, we see what's out there. We see what this culture has created. And when we look around us, we see a lot of people that are not really happy. They're not really happy. Mm-hmm. Their basic fundamental needs are not being met. <laughs> yeah. Having adequate childcare, having adequate health care, having a, a livable wage, like basic necessities mm-hmm. are not being met. So to answer your question, what policies are we creating within our organization that support our employees? Well, we provide childcare, a childcare stipend for every employee. We have a, we have funds allocated in our budget that can go towards continuing education that not only helps our employees, but it it then helps the organization to grow so that our, our staff can be cross-trained. We also provide a stipend. We don't have enough employees to really offer like big packages for health insurance. And so for for those who need it, we offer a certain amount, we have a certain amount allocated in our budget that help with, um, it's almost like a flexible spending account, you know, that can just help with Mm -hmm. doctor's visits or if they have a health share ministry that they choose to participate in, we, we compensate our employees for that. So we've had to get creative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is a really countercultural yeah. way of, of um, running an organization, mm-hmm. right? But it's also like such a necessary way, as you were saying, just, just to meet people's fundamental right. needs. Absolutely. You know, and so that's, yeah. you know, but this, it shouldn't be countercultural, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Like, I was just thinking, like, this is such a, such an important model mm-hmm. for the way that we could run a whole society, right? Like, we could run a society that um, takes into account people's family right. status. You know, we could do it. It's possible. It's just that we it, don't, right? It's just... Yes, Katie. And that's the thing is, I think I didn't realize until I stepped into this role the amount of power that leaders have. You know, I mean, we mm. talk about it. We, you know, we know that those that are, you know, heads of various corporations that are, are 
are leaders in government. We know that they have power, but do we really? Until I stepped into this role, I was like, okay, wait a minute. You mean I can create this policy? You mean we can create a policy where our employees have unlimited sick time? We do. We have that policy. Unlimited sick time. Right? Like you you can do it's it. Possible. It's possible. It's possible. And that I think that's what's so Ugh. disheartening. I think we, that has us to this place where we realize the culture that we live in right now is not healthy. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think that simply running this organization, not, not just sort of all of the um, sort of nitty gritty of actually running the organization, but also obviously including the mission and the actual, you know, the work that you do in the mm-hmm. community, all of that seems so much to me a work of resistance against a culture that's really unhealthy against a culture that perpetuates systems of oppression. Mm-hmm. And, and so I wonder if you, if you identify with that, if you feel like that's, that's, you know, part of the work that you're doing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so for those who are unfamiliar with Abide, I know that earlier I kind of shared you know, how Abide began, but currently right now we are um, in the process of becoming an accredited easy access clinic. We are with the JJ Way, um, led by Jenny Joseph in Florida with Common Sense Childbirth. Well, right now what we do is we offer donation-based prenatal, postnatal care. Um, We have, in an attempt to provide equitable opportunities, we have scholarshiped five women here in South Dallas. Um, we scholarshiped their training to be postpartum doulas. And so every person, a birthing person that um, desires to have a postpartum doula, we will have that for them, any client. Mm-hmm. And so we provide a multitude of different resources, um, childbirth education, lactation support, as well as uh, contactless deliveries of material goods. One of our goals is to train up and equip more Black student midwives and birth workers of color. And, you know, when mm-hmm. we look at the statistics in regards to maternal and infant health or um, infant maternal mortality, we centering the lives of Black women. That is right. part of our existence. That's part of the resistance. It's coming into a clinic that has images <laughs> of black women yeah. and people of color represented in the art, in the staff. It's having staff mm-hmm. that equipped, that has um, taken trainings and is constantly unearthing their biases, that is approaching healthcare from a place of humility. Um, those are things that are really value as an organization and that is resisting until until whiteness is no longer the standard, black women will continue to die. And that is the truth because we live in a culture right now where whiteness is normative. And so we have to resist normative standards in order to adequately care for people that are different, (laughs) that more historically have been othered, you know? Absolutely. That is so important. I think that bears repeating, right? That, that because whiteness is considered normative, mm-hmm. any act 
that cares for a person who's been othered or oppressed is an act of resistance. Those acts of care are a resistance against a false normative. Yes. That, I mean, that's the key. It is. And as long, as long as it is the norm that we've, you know, that we as a culture embrace, as long as that's true, the resistance will be necessary. Absolutely. I think like, if we can just like ground ourselves in that idea, um, as a, as a culture, right. That, that it's not, you know, an individual, um, sort of resistance against, um, against a category necessarily, or a political Mm -hmm. side or an individual person. It's a resistance against an Mm -hmm. idea. And a culture. Mm -hmm. The culture that we have yeah. learned and been ingrained to operate within for generations. So this resistance is, is it goes beyond resisting white acts, you know, uh, systemic racism, white supremacy, you know, whiteness. We're resisting mm-hmm. the culture that we've created. And that, and that affects right. all of us. I think a lot of times people think that this is just, all of this just affects black people and people of color you know, indigenous people. No, the culture that we have been swimming in affects all of us. And we must all join in this act of resistance. And it goes into establishing rest, you know, resisting grind culture. Mm -hmm. You know, we live in a a culture Mm -hmm. where we have to work, 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 work to the detriment of our families, to to the detriment of our health. At a buy, 32 hours a week is full time. Okay, that's that's our what we can have that. (laughs) We (laughs) yeah. Well, something that just is so striking to me that I uh, is that this way because so so often on the podcast I've been thinking with my guests about having an imagination, like just Mm. if we can just imagine a different way, then we can do it, right? Like we can do it. and yes, mm-hmm. it will be work, right? But it's work right now. Right. Just surviving. So but do we want to, ju- right. Do we want to just survive or do we want to thrive? Exactly. Exactly. And as you're saying, like the thriving of, of one group is yes. the thriving of us all. Like as we yes. all are invested in each other's thriving. The, the, um, the attitude of scarcity and um, of sort of this com- competition um, that that feeds into our our sort of culture of of hyper productivity and capitalism that mm-hmm. that whole thing it is it is affecting the very ability to right. to live of you know and so it's just it seems to me um, just so necessary this resistance, this imagination, um, this living in the gray. I love to like the way that the colors are symbolized in that Mm. phrase, living in the gray and and the way that it sort of, um, it forces us to, to, uh, I don't know, blur maybe these lines that we've drawn into the center where the human being lives in the set in that center. That's Um, good. Oh gosh, it's just so so powerful to me. Good, Katie. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you've inspired this whole thing. I've just been, I've just been meditating on this for a long time and um, really appreciating it. Um, and I feel like, yeah, I feel like what you were just saying too um, about the way that it's, uh, it's for all of us right? I, I feel like there's a real power in motherhood for that, um, but also specifically mm-hmm. in Black motherhood, right? And we, we are airing this episode on, um, at the very beginning of Black Maternal Health Week. And I know it's, um, it's just, it's such an important thing that we must recognize in our culture, um, and so I guess I, I, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about the power of motherhood, um, but especially of Black motherhood in our Ooh, community. Motherhood, motherhood, motherhood. <laughs> there is definitely some power, and it comes with a lot of exhaustion and a lot of things that we're not prepared for as mothers. You know, um, I think women are incredible humans (laughs) the amount of balancing (laughs) and juggling that we do as mothers um is unreal but when it comes to black motherhood i will say that i i truly believe that black mothers are the most resilient people on earth and i say that um Mm -hmm. because of history you know when i look at when I look at how Black mothers in this country specifically were, or Black women, shall I say, were bred to bear more children for, for work, for, for slave masters, mm-hmm. um, and had their, black, black women weren't even able to mother. They weren't forced Mm -hmm. to populate but were denied the ability to mother and then there were still ways that they tried to to mother even in the midst of that even in the midst of their children being torn from them um and even even modern day sterilization of you know black women and birthing Mm -hmm. people who desire to mother but then that being taken away and here we are now where you know black women are facing the ramifications of and i'm not sure if ramifications is the word but just systemic racism that have black men imprisoned during the whole war on drugs during the 80s and how that's what that's mm-hmm. done to our families you know and um right. and yet black women <laughs> Black mothers are still doing this, and yet they're still doing, they're still going. Black women are still surviving. Black women are still finding ways to thrive. Black women are still raising their children in the best way that they can possibly do. You know, I just look at all Mm -hmm. of the, um, the hurdles that Black mothers have had to jump over for so long and yet we still 
we still mother not only our own children, but we, we mother our neighbor's children. We, we mother our cousins, right. you know, we mother the, the neighborhood kids, you know, when a black mama just, just looks at you a certain way or says mm-hmm. something a certain way, you know, to listen. And so, um, and, and even today with various reproductive justice, um, maternal justice type organizations, you see black women fighting um, to have environments where they can raise their children in a healthy, safe environment. You know, you see black women leading the charge. You see black women graduating college with a master's degree by themselves, you know, <laughs> and showing their children that it can be mm-hmm. done, you know. And then I'm right now seeing a lot of black mothers saying, okay, I'm, I'm not going to just survive. I am going to thrive. And so they are leading from a, a place of, of rest, resistance, which will produce restoration. Black, black motherhood is, is what heals our communities, is what I believe is helping to heal our nation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, I totally, I, I agree with you in this picture and I feel like, um, and I say picture because as you're speaking about this just long history, I'm, I'm thinking about the image um, of these incredible um, black mothers who put hmm. seeds yes. in their hair, right? They put these seeds there because they knew like they ha- there was this deep and authentic mm. hope despite mm-hmm. everything, mm-hmm. right? And the seeds mm-hmm. grew right. despite everything. Um, and that's, that's both a testament to the, to the injustice and the challenge of it, but also to, as you said, the resilience um, and the hopefulness. And I feel like without that, our, our communities would be mm-hmm. so much poorer um, and it just, it comes across in this, um, this beautiful image, which is, you know, the black mother. And I, I just, oh, I can't say enough about like how much I appreciate. Um, yes. I, I mean, it. thank you for that, Katie. I, I, um, I'm reminded of how black women, I really, black women birth nations, you know, when mm-hmm. there's no denying that. Black women were, they were the grand midwives of old. They were catching everyone's babies and they were also mm. nursing everyone's babies at the detriment of their own. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, that resiliency in Black women and Black mothers is, it's really unbelievable. Yeah. It is a beauty and a power of something that um, is sort of superhuman, right? It's just like beyond. Um, and I think, I mean, I think that's just like such a testament to the, to, um, I mean, sort of the divine, right? The, the idea of, um, 
being created, I mean, in God's image, right? And that that's like that power coming through um, Mm -hmm. specifically through black motherhood is an image Mm -hmm. of the divine for me. And I feel like, and that's, it's just part of like why I, I think that the work that you're doing is just so important um, and so valuable. And I just want everyone to know about it and to support it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. to take a moment at this point in our conversation to acknowledge the depth of emotion that at least I am feeling as we discuss the power of Black motherhood with Cecily. As we were talking about the history of Black motherhood in this country, I was reminded of the historical fact that, as UCLA professor emerita Judith Carney explains, African women braided their hair and hid rice seeds, as well as other grains, in cornrows. Mothers often braided the rice into their children's hair to have something to survive on while on the slave trips or escaping from raided communities in Africa. Such a profound act of survival is itself a resistance against the forces that would literally take their lives. It is the act illustrated in its devastating beauty in Toni Morrison's novel, Beloved. And it is the act witnessed by the call of George Floyd for his mother as he died at the hands of the police in Minneapolis. What we celebrate when we honor Black motherhood is the resilience and ineffable hope that is knit into the body and spirit of the Black mother who faces today the same dehumanizing injustice as she did at the height of the slave trade. And yet, in our recognition of that resilience, in our sorrow and hopefully our contrition for the injustice that necessitates it, we call out injustice because fundamentally we acknowledge and affirm the inherent human dignity of Black mothers and their babies. The inherent dignity of Black people is the image and likeness of God. And this is why Black motherhood is so powerful to me. It insists on proclaiming the truth against the false norm of whiteness. It insists that Black lives bear the image of God, as all human life does. For decades, Black women and women of color have been facilitating conversations at the nexuses of race, gender, motherhood, feminism, womanism, faith, and spirituality. They have been living in the gray, as Cecily says, unafraid to carve a third way, and inspired with reimagining a world between the lines. We should know their names and listen to them. Scholars like Kimberly Crenshaw, Karen Craddock, Alice Walker, Leili Maparian, and Audre Lorde should be celebrated for their truly innovative discourse in addition to their activism. 
In her 2015 edited collection, Black Motherhoods, Contours, Contexts, and Considerations, which I'll link for you in the show notes, Dr. Karen Craddock explains the notion of motherhood as central to modeling intersectional theory. I'm going to read for you some excerpts from the introduction to this collection. She says, Building on Patricia Hill Collins' central conceptualization of Black motherhood through a lens of Black feminism incorporating the power of self-definition, advocacy, resistance, and resilience, we can further traverse the breadths and depths of Black motherhood through a womanist understanding specifically around the definition of womanism, according to Lely Maparian, as, quote, spiritualized politics that encompasses humans, the environment, nature, and the spiritual realm, end quote. Craddock continues, According to Maparian, this emphasis on recognizing inner light and how it relates to broad spiritual realities is inherent to the womanist idea, and how womanists recognize the innate divinity in all forms of life and uphold principles of nonviolence, interdependence, and interwoven connectedness. Motherhood metaphors, Craddock says, are used extensively in womanist works, both descriptively and methodologically in reference to social change and transformation. Maparian reminds us that the mother construct in the context of womanism is especially suitable in its facile ability to connect diverse attributes, such as in physical and emotional nurturance, conscious and moral leadership, creative and equitable approaches to conflict resolution and distribution of resources, or in the unique dynamic relationship between self-care and self-sacrifice. Reinforcing an understanding that the idea and ideal of mother then holds the ability to simultaneously supersede and unify varying ranges of differences, Maparian underscores the power of motherhood. And then Craddock offers a quotation from Maparian. So Maparian says, Motherly power evinces from a combination of love, caretaking, and authority. Perhaps most importantly, it is tethered to a sense of the unbreakable ties that bind a group of people, however different they each may seem or be. This is why motherhood serves as a trope of womanist social and ecological transformation methodology, and this is what distinguishes it from other forms of social change praxis that are willing to countenance various kinds of fissure in social fabric. This lens, Craddock says, at the intersection of motherhood and womanism, is particularly palpable for reflecting on black motherhoods, which draws on African ethnocultural tenets of interrelated communal sensibilities and inherent strength which do not fall into predominant Western patriarchal ideas of frailty and subordination that are presented in association with mothers. 
Finally, Craddock says, the conflation of an African ethos of motherhood and newly emerging womanist ideologies proposes a way to explore Black motherhoods along the lines of past and future trajectories for Black women, as well as through a paradigm for broader engagement with diverse communities toward ideals of overarching freedom, equality, and unity. Now, I think there is something important in this conversation that I think the Christian church and the Catholic church especially has a stake in, that theology has a place here. And in this conversation, we might be able to come to a sort of third way or a way of living in the gray. In this introduction to her book, Craddock frames how to have this complex and nuanced conversation, much in the same way that Cecily Smith facilitates the work of Abide. Where Black women's scholarship necessarily leads this conversation, Cecily activates the conversation on the ground. Our work as anti-racists and allies is to follow that lead. Okay, so I'm wondering, too, how has the pandemic and then our current racial climate affected your work? Well, I would say that, you know, March of last year, it, I mean, the world shut down, the country shut shut down. And so um, we had to get creative on how we served our community. And so that's where we started the whole COVID relief program, where we offer contactless deliveries of material goods. But as we've grown as an organization over the past year, we have definitely realized that people people are in desperate need of support, both financially and practically with their basic needs. And so that's just how I believe that the pandemic highlighted where our system is failing families, you know, and I, I, you know, as much as people kind of want to go back to the normal you know, I am a huge advocate for creating a new normal, like, because what we were doing prior to pandemic wasn't healthy um, at all. And, um, and so that's where I'm with that. But I will also add that, you know, I would say the current racial climate, it really, unfortunately, it propels our organization in a way. And I say it's unfortunate because it took, you know, the public execution of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and a multitude of others and, you know, Breonna Taylor, you know, Mm -hmm. in order for people to really believe what Black people have been saying for for years, (laughs) you know? And so, Yes, we've our right. our individual donation donations, our recurring donors, like all of that increased significantly. We have we have experienced tremendous growth as an organization, so much growth um, that you know we're getting gearing up to launch a capital campaign so that we can, you know, purchase a building and land so that we can have a birth center within the next year to, year or two, and so. Mm. It's, it's phenomenal, but it's also 
unfortunate. Um, I'm thankful because people are now aware and they're choosing to put their money where their mouth is, you know, or they, they have been compelled. Some have been convicted, you know, and they're choosing to support um, a BIPOC-led organization. And that's great, but it also grieves me that it, it took that, you know, it, 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 you know, listening to um, black women wasn't enough. You know, black women have been talking about these disparities for years. Black women have been dying for years for, uh, for preventable causes and advocates and activists and black maternal health workers have been trying for, for generations to get people to understand what is going on. And it took those public, uh, those public executions for people to wake up. And so, you know, it's, it's sad, but at the same time, Abide is in a place where we're like, okay, all right, people are waking up. Let's do this. You know? Yeah, it is. Um, I feel like the confluence of pandemic and sort of this uh, uh, horror um, is about the best word that I can mm-hmm. use, I think, um, over the summer. Like, that that would be the catalyst, that it would have to be that bad, of course, um, yeah. is horrifying. And yet, um, there is a way in which um, waking up from a nightmare makes you imagine a different day in front of you. I'm kind of thinking about the structures that um, we might be mm-hmm. able to imagine for the day in front of us, um, you know, that can combat systemic injustice. Um, and in part, you know, it is, it is the, the on the ground work that you're doing, but I'm also curious if you can tell us a little bit about uh, the way that you might imagine some of, some of these structures. There's changing. this um, like meme, I think that I've seen or some kind of creative piece of art that said the creative adult is the child that survived. And mm. I think that's a, I think that that is a, a call for us to allow our children to be creative, <laughs> you know, um, to really focus on allowing our children to be free so that they can foster that creativity as an adult. Um, But I also believe that what we must do as humans is we, we have to tap into our our, the the creative imagination of a child that we once had where we dreamed impossible dreams. We did Mm -hmm. as children, we dreamed impossible dreams, you know, or, what adults may deem as impossible, but a child dreamt it. And I think that we need to start doing that as adults. Um, it started envisioning, envisioning, imagining a different world, a more beautiful world. And I believe that it can happen. I mean, it's happening within the organization that I run. Um, oftentimes I envision these big ideas and these big things and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. Well, not within the current structure, right? right? But like if you right. rebuilt a structure, 
Absolutely. It totally makes sense. And so, I mean, if we want to combat systemic injustice, we have to dream of a world that doesn't have it. And we also have to embrace the power that we have. And it's a lot. We have a lot of power that I, I believe that we don't tap into. You know, if, if, we, if we see, um, yeah. we have to get to a point where we value family over policy. We have to get to a world where we no longer, you know, hold to the excuse of this is how it's always been done. I mean, if we held on to that belief, then my, my ancestors, like I would still right. be enslaved. I would be enslaved. My children would, you know? And so when we see, when we see ills, when we see wrongdoings, like how do we do it? Like there are a multitude. I believe that the power is in grassroots efforts. I really truly believe it. I'm not anti-politics. I'm not anti-government, but I do believe that the power is in grassroots efforts. It's those who have a vision, who are starting something from the ground up and have the boldness to say, okay, we're just going to do this different and step out on that. And then hopefully other people will start to catch on. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I, I feel like some people may feel like, well, I can't go and start a whole movement or like, I can't, you know, I, I'm not in a position where I can, you know, create a thing, you know, from the ground up. Um, but I think, I think that the, the attitude or the, the, disposition that's necessary to do that is the same thing that we all have inside of us right like we all have this ability to just see the person in front of us and do something um, to make them thrive like we even if it's literally one person right like we all have that ability to do that and that it's is through, like that is I mean the, the reality is that even though I'm running this organization in 2016 that idea was just an idea in 2017 hearing the statistics right. gutted me but then still I couldn't imagine necessarily that I would be running this big organization that's making an impact. Like I, I didn't have, I mean, I, I saw a vision of some of the work that I was doing, but I didn't really see the big picture. You know, it was okay, well, let's hire an office manager, you know, or we'll bring someone else alongside and let's come alongside this organization and let's collectively do this. I think one thing that we can do in um, imagining or combating the system is taking the eye out of what we're doing and thinking, oh, this is too much for me to do and start thinking more collectively. You know, it is, it is a collective effort that yeah. allows us to do this work effectively and efficiently. It's not, it's not one person at all. And if we, if we stay on I, then we won't yeah. ever get anything done because you'll be so defeated because you can't possibly do everything. Yeah, I I absolutely agree and I think I think too that you know thinking about this in terms of I can do this or I can't do that um reinforces um mm. sort of an attitude of scarcity and an attitude of, of competition, right? Because if you're saying like, well, I can do this, then you're not thinking about the right. many many people around you who can help you. Right. Um, and the the idea that we are not 
there's more than enough for everyone. Like there is, there is more than enough. It's just that, you know, we have to, we have to detach from the eye so that we can see that. Um, Yeah. I, I, I think that's there's something very very powerful that's there. part really of the resistance goes, um onto something important it's yeah i mean there it's, so, it's wild yes. right it's the resistance is so yes. multifaceted like it's it's not yes. me centered it's collective work we're looking this resistance is life affirming it's healing work it's restorative it's restorative that's so good. I love it. And I love how you sort of frame this in terms of like impossible dreams. And yet, mm-hmm. like it, it is, it is possible. Like it is possible. So I wonder how my listeners can support your work. Speaking of supporting and being part of. Yes. <laughs> Abide Women's Health Services is a 501c3 <laughs> nonprofit organization. And we are led by um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And we are dependent upon individual donations. We are dependent upon it. We need um, we need folks to come alongside us to uh, commit to a recurring donation. We have people that, rec- you know, donate um, as little as $5 a month. That's a steady stream for us to $500 a month. Um, and so you can do that by going to our website at abidewomen.org, clicking on donate. Um, you can also donate donate through our Instagram, which is abide underscore women, as well as on Facebook. Um, we are also providing lunch and learn opportunities. And you can see more about that on our, on our Instagram as well, where you can host um, a group of about a dozen people to learn more about Abide, have an intimate conversation with myself on a Monday morning <laughs> during lunch, just to learn about Abide and commit to potentially um, being a recurring donor. We are also gearing up to publicly launch our capital campaign on Mother's Day. And we're excited about that. Our next step in our organization is to purchase land and a property for our upcoming birth center. Um, which will be the only nonprofit uh, birth center here in Dallas. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and just to kind of give you a little bit of information about birth centers. Well, one, uh, black midwives only make up 2% of midwives in the country, in the country. And um, black, uh, birth centers led by Black, Indigenous, and people of color only make up about 5% of birth centers in the country. There is just a little over a, uh, two dozen birth centers um, led by the BIPOC population across the states. And so we're trying to change that. We're very strategic about our approach in um, supporting Black student midwives and also providing um more opportunities and options for people who desire to birth in an anti-racist and culturally humble space, safe space for them and their families. But we also 
um, we were actually just awarded a $10,000 grant from the Heritage Foundation to go towards our um, student, Black Student Midwife Scholarship. But we also provide on our website, you'll see we have this t-shirt um, through our t-shirt sales. Those are specifically all the funds, 100% of the funds through our t-shirt sales goes towards our scholarship fund. And so, yeah, that's definitely um, a way that we're trying to address those disparities. Very cool. So there are some very practical ways that people can support your work and um, see and be, you know, become a part of the collective, become a part of the, the whole grassroots effort um, to, to resist and, and to live in the gray. I love, love it. I'm so grateful to you. Um, I'm afraid I got, you know, kind of discombobulated in my words because I, I was just becoming so, uh, so emotional actually about our conversation. Um, I just, uh, I have a hard time sort of expressing how important I feel that it is, um, to, to support exactly the work that you're doing. And so oh, no. um, I just kind <laughs> of good, overwhelmed. So you're good. No, I appreciate, <laughs> I really appreciate this time. You've been phenomenal. You really have. And I'm just thankful that you have given me the opportunity to, to enter in this conversation with you and share with your audience about Abide and just how we can really do better, you know, and how we can do this together, you know, um, yeah, yes. this is a collective effort. This yes. is uh, my hope is that through this work, we we learn how to collectively come together and unify and we um, help restore our community. This is, this is everyone can be part of this resistance. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and this is one of the beautiful, beautiful um, sort of co-benefits, which of this whole work that you're doing, which is that it models how to work together. And that um, it mm. actually brings people yes. in to work together for justice um, and teaches us how to do that. It is such necessary work um, on so many levels. So I'm just so grateful to you for sharing your time with us um, and your, your labor with us. Uh, and I, I Thank just you so much, wait, uh, I appreciate you to hear it. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for spending time with me this week. You are a beloved child. And today, for just a few moments, you chose to be with me. I'm so honored by that. I hope you can feel how much you are loved. If you know someone who could benefit by spending time with us, will you invite them to the Diamonds for Our Children community? Help them find our website at diamondsforourchildren.com. Send them a link to the show on Spotify, Apple, or any podcast platform or search for Diamonds for Our Children on Patreon. Patreon members are eligible for lots of good things, especially the opportunity to help me turn this mama love into tangible giving in our communities. You can also share what the show means to you by reviewing the podcast on the free Apple Podcast app. Rating and reviewing helps others to find our community and our love. And who knows, your review might just be featured on the doc website. You can also get in touch with me via email at diamondsforourchildren at gmail.com to ask questions or share your thoughts with me. I can't wait to be with you again next week. Together, we create facets of a unified love 
that reflect light back onto the world.